Salam again and a blessed Ramadan. All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray, and whoever God allows to go astray will never find guidance. I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. You who believe, be mindful of God, as is God's due. And make sure you devote yourselves to God to your dying moment. It is an honor to be here with you powerful leaders at the Women's Mosque of America. We are making Muslim history right now. I'm delighted to talk to you today about women's empowerment within Islam. I am passionate about women's leadership as we live in a world where many people do not want women to be leaders. The three different sections I will be covering are first, a few examples of the positive improvements of the lives of women during the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and a few examples of how women are talked about in the sublime Quran. Second, I will be discussing a few of the positive relationships that the Prophet Muhammad had with women in his community, including examples from his own family. Finally, I will end with what actions we can do now as Muslim women leaders to improve our world and to revive the pro-women's message that was originally intended. First, I'd love to cover how the Quran calls for gender justice on the issue of female infanticide. Female infanticide is the killing of female babies simply because they are born female and not male. Female infanticide was commonly practiced before the message of Islam was revealed. This practice illustrates that female lives were not valued. Through Islam, God's message asserted the value of every human life, female and male. To quote the Quran on this issue of gender justice from Surah 81, Ayahs 8 through 9. And when the girl who was buried alive is asked, for what sin she was killed? Unfortunately, female infanticide is still widely practiced in places like India and China. As a result, in India, there are 37 million more men than women. This practice is deeply disturbing to think about in terms of how many girls have been killed to have that many men outnumber women. If people knew about and practiced the message of Islam, then the lives of so many girls could be spared. Another way that Islam has improved the lives of women is through the topic of maher or dowry. In Islam, a maher is a mandatory payment by the groom to the bride at the time of marriage that is legally her gift and no one else's and cannot be taken back even after a divorce. Before Islam was revealed, the marriage payment was paid either from a bride to the groom or from the groom directly to a woman's male guardian, not paid to the bride herself meaning the money intended as a gift for the bride was never actually given to her. But with the message of Islam, the bride was now viewed as someone competent enough to have control over her own money. I'd love to tell you about my own personal experience with the Maher. 
I am someone who was raised Christian, with my dad even being a pastor. Then I converted to Islam in graduate school. I found Islam through the beauty of the religion through my friends who are Somali and Pakistani students. When I had been Muslim a little over a year and about to graduate, I was looking for a job and a husband. Wasn't sure which one was going to happen first, but uh, open to know that Allah knew best. Well, I found a husband first, and when it was time for us to get married, I was happily surprised to find out that I get a mahir. This really helped me because at the time, I had a huge amount of student loan debt, which helped me pay a small part of that off. Mahir is an advance for women, as it gives women more value in society's eyes and gives them more autonomy. Islam helps women get more of a financial independence. So moving on from the concept of the positive improvement in women's status through Islam of gaining a mahir, let's shift to discuss women's status being raised through being given the right to inherit property. The Prophet Muhammad lived in 7th century Arabia. It was a profoundly different time and place. At this time, it was a common practice for women themselves to be inherited as property. But when the message of Islam came, then women went from being viewed as property to being able to inherit property. This was a truly revolutionary improvement in women's lives, thanks to Islam. Not only does the Quran speak broadly to improvements for the status of women, the Quran also includes individual stories of women we can draw upon. Let's switch gears from the rights Islam gave to women to how women were talked about in the Quran. One way that Islam helped the lives of women is the story of Eve or Hawa in the Quran. In the Christian version of her story in the Bible, Eve is the one solely responsible for eating the forbidden fruit, which curses them and all of humanity, <laughs> fortunately, um, and expels Eve and Adam from the garden. However, in the Quran, Eve and Adam are both equally blamed and responsible for their mistakes which was so relieving to hear after I converted to Islam since growing up in the Christian church, I felt sexism so deeply in my lived experiences. But now Islam has given me a more positive way of viewing women in the Quran. To quote the Quran on this issue of gender justice from Surah 2, Ayahs 35 through 36. And we said, O Adam, inhabit the garden, you and your spouse, Eve or Hawa, Eat freely from it, both of you, wherever you both have willed, but come not near this tree, or you both will be among the ones who are unjust. Satan then caused both of them out from that in which they had both been. The verse continues on. Another example of Islam honoring and empowering women is the surah or chapter in the Quran named after Mary Maryam, who is the mother of Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him. Mary is referred to in the Quran more often than in the New Testament, the Bible. It is wonderful that Mary is admired and held in such high esteem, and that we also share this mutual respect for her as Christians do. Here is one example of how Mary is talked about in the Quran from Surah 3, Ayah 42. And when the angel said, O Mary, Truly God has favored you and purified you and has favored you above women of the world. 
Mary is an example of an upstanding woman for Muslim women to look up to. The fact that the Quran has mentioned a woman by her name in our holy book means that we truly value Mary. This is a lovely example of how Islam is a religion that honors and empowers women. Next, I will be discussing the positive relationships that the Prophet Muhammad had with women in his community, including examples from his own family. Though he was a man, the Prophet Muhammad had insight into how hard it was to be a woman on this planet because he was an orphan. He understood how it felt to be from a group in society that was viewed as oppressed. Since the Prophet Muhammad had so much empathy for women in society, he treated them with dignity and respect. Muhammad's relationship with the women in his community served as an example for Muslim men to emulate on how to treat women well. The Prophet Muhammad celebrated women who were active leaders in his community. Many of these women were responsible for transmitting the early community stories of the community, which were later compiled into hadith. The Prophet Muhammad sincerely sought advice from these women. He listened to their suggestions and concerns and ideas for helping him on making decisions. The fact that the Prophet Muhammad turned to these women for help is a true testament of Islam honoring and empowering women. He didn't devalue their thoughts due to their gender. The first woman I will discuss is Khadija. Khadija was an impressive, strong leader herself. She was a businesswoman who proposed marriage to Muhammad when she saw he was an upstanding, honest person. Since Khadija was wealthy, she was able to pick a husband for herself. Marrying Khadija was a pivotal moment in the Prophet Muhammad's life. This drastically improved his family life and status from his previous position as an orphan. The Prophet Muhammad relied heavily on Khadija. When the Prophet Muhammad had his first revelation from the angel Gabriel, Jibreel, it was a traumatic experience for him. He ran home to Khadija, who comforted and counseled him. She reassured him that he wasn't going crazy, but this was his true calling from God. She believed and supported him, which is, which is commemorated by Ramadan, the holy month of fasting. Beside Muhammad, Khadija was the first person to believe in the message of Islam. What can be more empowering than that? Without Khadija, a woman's support, Muhammad's path would have been much more difficult. She was a foundation of support from which Muhammad began his prophetic career. Next, let's discuss Aisha. Aisha was a key political and religious leader after the death of the Prophet Muhammad. At this time, she played an active role in the struggles of the early Muslim community. She was a source of information for many women and men during the time of the Prophet Muhammad's life and after his death. Many people turned to her for guidance and knowledge, which was later compiled into Hadith. Her phenomenal leadership and scholarship is a powerful example for us to remember. Next, let's talk about how the Prophet Muhammad treated his family. There are many stories of how he did domestic chores and housework. This was considered taboo at the time, and unfortunately still is today. But the Prophet Muhammad is an excellent example of how women and men should split the housework. 
the egalitarian model of the family instead of the patriarchal version that many people believe Islam represents. I'd love to share my own personal experience with emulating this concept. When it was time for my husband and me to get married, I told him that I didn't know how to cook. He said, I also don't know how to cook, but that's fine, one of us will learn. Well, time went by and we both still didn't learn how to cook. Eventually, the division in labor was divided up by me and I decided for sure that I would not be cooking. And I officially delegated that task to him. Well, it worked. I haven't cooked a meal at all in our five and a half year marriage. I truly wanted my partner to be a real partner to go with the great Sheryl Sandberg, who is the founder of the Lean In Movement. I didn't want to be a traditional stereotype of a woman who is expected to do every single thing in the household. I needed my husband to contribute more than finances, but actual physical labor, so that I could be a happy and successful person in this world. So we're a team. Neither one of us is more important than the other. But don't get me wrong, when he cooks, he makes a huge mess that I have to clean up. Since he doesn't clean as he cooks, but I don't mind cleaning up his cooking mess since I know he contributed to our household by being our cook as the Prophet Muhammad contributed to his household in the sharing of domestic labor. I'd like to transition back to the Prophet Muhammad's positive relationships with the women in his community. Women were encouraged to seek knowledge during the time of the revelation of Islam. So much so that women studied in the Prophet Muhammad's home he was happy to open his home to both men and women to learn from him directly. When women complained to the prophet that men were taking up all of his time, he even set aside a certain day each week to teach just women so that women would have direct access to leadership and learning, like we are here today. One great example of this is Um Waraka. She was one of the few people at the time who had memorized the whole Quran. The Prophet Muhammad recognized her talents of being an educated woman and selected her to lead prayer in her community. The Prophet Muhammad publicly acknowledged that there were so many Muslim women leaders at that time. This is a wonderful example to remember, especially since today we're at the Women's Mosque of America, where so many of us have the opportunity to lead prayer and to be strong, educated Muslim women leaders. Now let us consider what meaning, relevance, and application this has for us today. Islam greatly advanced the status of women during its time. However, that gender equity is still not reflected in today's society. It is important to understand Islam in its historical context when we think of these stories or examples to apply to today's culture. We must remember to distinguish between Islam as a religion and the different cultural contexts that Islam was revealed and practiced in. If you take one message from Islam, it would be that the Quran emphasizes justice and improving people's lives, bringing progress to humanity, and pushing people to think forward. We must re-examine and reform many Muslim practices that have strayed from the original, positive, pro-women words and actions of the Prophet Muhammad. Two important concepts are ijtihad and tafsir. Let me define these terms for you. Ijtihad is independent intellectual investigation of religious sources. So using critical thinking skills, using the brain that God gave you to analyze information, 
Tafsir is the interpretation of the Qur'an. These two terms are crucial concepts to understand when applying the teachings of the Qur'an and Muhammad to today. So tafsir, interpretation, through ijtihad, critical thinking skills, over time and certain generations of men interpreting the Qur'an in a quite different meaning than the pro-women ideals that Islam originally was revealed and intended has brought us to modern day and what people think Islam is. But fortunately, there are many modern women who are Muslim leaders and scholars who are re-examining the Qur'an and Muslim sources to look for the message of empowering women that was originally intended and has now gone astray over time. Some names of these women, if you'd like to read their research, are Dr. Amina Wadud, Dr. Leila Ahmed, and Dr. Fatima Murnisi. These Muslim scholars are rereading and reinterpreting the Qur'an and fighting for gender equity. They argue that the Qur'an does provide justification for gender justice and that this original message has been lost in the centuries since. They are critiquing the patriarchal version of Islam that is spread today, but was not the pro-women Islam that was originally revealed or intended for the world. We must remember to distinguish between the patriarchal practices of the cultural context that we live in, including back then and now. Benazir Bhutto, Pakistan's first female prime minister, powerfully explains this concept. It is only the ignorance and acts of hate of men which corrupt Islam. So what can we do as Muslim women leaders right now? We need to take actions together as a sisterhood and as an ummah, the Muslim community. We need to engage in dialogue more often with Muslim sources of information as women. It is your right to learn about Islam and the Quran. Let's together secure those rights. We Muslim leaders need to not only demand this gender equity in our private lives, but also in the public sector as well. A great organization to know of and to get involved with who is asserting their human rights is Sisters in Islam. Sisters in Islam is a group formed in Malaysia to support the rights of Muslim women within an egalitarian framework of Islam. Also, Sisters in Islam launched a global movement calling for justice and equity for Muslim women called Musawa. Musawa hosts trainings for Muslim leaders to learn about progressive interpretations of the Quran and Hadith. Their goal is to challenge the use of religion to justify discrimination against women. Another great organization to check out is Karama. Karama Muslim Lawyers for Human Rights is a group formed in the United States to promote gender equity through a woman's perspective of Islamic law. All these groups, including the Women's Mosque of America, help women through an Islamic lens, which is important to think about in each new Muslim society formed. We must understand the culture and the context they are in. We cannot apply a 7th century Arabian context to each modern-day Muslim culture in our various countries without using ijtihad, critical thinking skills, in regards to tafsir interpretation. I would like to talk about two more Muslim women leaders to study as well. Leila Bakhtiar is the first American woman who has translated the Quran into English. 
This helps to bring the female perspective when translating meaning, since it has traditionally been done by men over history. Through her research, Leila found that there are many nuanced words that were being mistranslated with one, only one monolithic reading, despite dozens of different contexts in the Qur'an. I would encourage us to read her translation of the Qur'an, as there are many parts that have been misinterpreted over the centuries, which she now has brought their pro-women intended meaning to light. Another inspiring woman I would love to talk about is Linda Sarsour. She is an activist and one of the co-chairs of the 2017's Women's March on Washington. She is not afraid to proudly let people know she is Muslim and to stand up and fight for the rights that Islam grants and empowers to women. Whenever I see her on media doing something positive for women, I always feel empowered and happy that a Muslim woman is such a visible leader on such important global issues. These women leaders I just mentioned are advocating for increased gender equity and gender justice within a framework of Islam. One factor they have in common is women's education within Islam. I am very passionate about promoting education for women. Actually, my mother was an educator growing up, so education has always been a huge part of my life. Even now, I am working in higher education, doing religious diversity leadership work. Let's push for more education for girls in both general education and especially in Islamic education. Having women and girls get more closely engaged with religious texts helps them understand Islam better. Personally, I started preparing for this khutbah in November and have learned so much in the process. I would challenge us to try something new and learn about Islam in a way that's comfortable for you. Perhaps even delivering a khutbah yourself. This was my first time ever delivering a khutbah. It was a bit intimidating at first, but I did it, or I'm doing it right now. If I can do it, you can do it. I believe in you. We need to encourage more girls and women like you and me and all of us to contribute to more Muslim scholarship, education, and activism. Through education, we can do ijtihad to help ourselves and others understand the true meaning of tafsir. Education for girls and women leads to a better society. Being involved in our local community when it comes to political and economic issues can also lead to a more rich society. I'd love to tell you about my experience in politics. I've always considered doing politics since I've always been highly engaged in the community, but whenever I pursued it, it never felt like a good fit. Until recently, I decided I'd like to get to know my local politician so that I could get my voice heard as a citizen. I remember hearing that our local representative, Joanne Ward, in Woodbury, Minnesota, would be visiting our masjid for Ramadan. I enjoyed meeting her, and after this event, a few of us Muslim leaders got invited to go to her house for a private event. There she listened to our concerns as Muslim leaders and gave us tips on how to get more involved in politics. After attending this event at her house, Joanne then organized a private tour of the capital just for our masjid. After so many positive experiences with Joanne at these Muslim events that she attended and organized especially for us, I decided I'd like to get together with her one-on-one -on -one to see if I should consider running for politics. She met with me and we ended up talking for two hours. She told me all about local politics and I realized 
I was not meant to be a politician, as I learned how the political system actually works. Unfortunately, I just found out that Joanne is not running again for her seat, but I was excited to hear that some of my colleagues at the Masjid are considering running for her seat. I would encourage you, as a Muslim woman, to get involved in your local community to get your voice heard. Talk to your politicians and tell them what you're concerned about. It can make a real difference in your community. I have said what I have said. May God forgive all of us. Alhamdulillah. All praise and thanks are due to God alone. Another way of being involved in the community is by shattering stereotypes through educating others about Islam. There are so many negative stereotypes about us Muslim women out there, since people simply lack knowledge about Islam and Muslim culture. Let's together, as Muslim women leaders, educate ourselves so we can help empower and teach others accurate information about Islam. A few different ways I did this was at my workplace. I used to work at the Science Museum in Minnesota, and when I first started there, there was no diversity training. So I had to spearhead that myself. I organized five different diversity trainings on basic information about Islam and Muslim culture. With these much-needed trainings, people really appreciated learning basic information about Islam. But my proudest moment was that I built a quiet space at the Science Museum of Minnesota. As Muslims, we need to pray five times a day, and there wasn't a designated place for me to pray, so I had to spearhead that as well. I met with our CEO and president, our VP of HR, and many of my work colleagues, convincing them in a gentle, respectful manner that this was a space that everyone could benefit from. Whether they were atheist, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim, or had no religious or any religious affiliation. It took me two years to build, but now there is a quiet space, not a prayer room or a masjid, but a secular quiet space where all Muslims can pray five times a day and anyone can meditate throughout their workday. You can also make an impact in your community by doing a similar project. It has been such an honor to be surrounded by such strong Muslim women like you and to be discussing these important issues. We must push for more female leadership. Islam and Muhammad were feminist and pro-women when people understand the context in which this information was revealed. What we need to do now is educate ourselves further about this information and be interpreters of Islam for the Ummah and the whole world. I am proud to be a Muslim and to have deepened my knowledge about my faith in prepping for this khutbah. It was a positive experience diving into academic research and learning what Islam really says about women and what is instead culture. Through Islam, let's live our best lives as women leaders to transform society for the better and to no longer put up with discrimination based on our gender. I believe in your leadership. You are strong, kind, beautiful, and powerful. Thank you. God commands justice, doing good, and generosity toward relatives, and God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so you may take heed. Perform the prayer.